Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're glad that you could join us again this week. This week we are looking at lesson number five, singing the Lord's song in a strange land. A fascinating subject that we're going to be looking at this week, and we're glad that you could join us. Let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you for leading us through the book of Psalms and helping us to gain a better understanding of the purpose of the Psalms and what we can benefit from them and what we can share with others that may benefit them. We ask that you'll bless our time together today, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our guest this week, once again, is Dr. Dragoslava Santrak. She is a PhD or has a PhD in Old Testament and is the author of this quarter's Sabbath school lesson. Slava, thanks for joining us again today. I'm honored to be here. Now, we've had an exciting journey so far, and now we're five weeks into this particular quarter. And this week's lesson is singing the Lord's song in a strange land. That's kind of a, it's a strange title. What is this week's lesson all about? Mm. Well, the title is taken uh, from Psalm 137. And uh, in this psalm, we read about the sentiments of God's people who are being taken to exile to Babylon. And on the way to Babylon, their captors ask them to sing the songs of the Lord, the songs of Zion. Now, they left Jerusalem in ruins. The temple is destroyed. The land is devastated. So this question, sing us the song of Zion, is a mocking question. And that's why the people respond, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And they point to this harsh reality that exists between the glorious promises of Zion, of peace, of prosperity in these songs, and the current situation of exile. And their situation, the situation of this song in a strange land, mirrors, I would like to say, the entire history of humanity, where we are called to hope, to look up with faith in a strange land. And this land is becoming increasingly strange and hostile to God's people. So I think this is such an adequate title to describe our situation today as well. We are called to sing and hope in the midst of devastation and darkness. And there really is no, no loss or no lack of devastation and darkness today in the world. It doesn't take much to turn on the news or, or open your app and, and find it, or really even to just look at the world around you. You don't even have to look at a digital version of it. We go through struggles and trials as well, and yet uh, here we are supposed to have that hope and that encouragement, and, and the psalmists are trying to bring that out. What else can you share to help us understand this uh, this Lord's song in a strange land? Yes. So, you see, we mentioned earlier how God is in control. He is the one at the center of life for the psalmist. And indeed, for them, all the questions of life inevitably find their way to God, to the questions that involve God. Um, People today, when they see the evil in the world, they are challenged and tempted to say, well, there is no God. And that becomes a sort of solution. If, if God is good and omnipotent and all these things are happening, it must mean that there is no God. But for the psalmist, 
they refuse to succumb to such a conclusion. For them, what is at stake is that God's reputation is questioned. And for example, when we read Psalm 79, verse 10, the key question they ask is not, is, is there God? Does God exist? The key question for them is the question of God's reputation. In Psalm 79, the psalmist cries, For your name's sake, why should the nations say, Where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of your servants which has been shed. So the psalmist see here at stake is God's reputation, his name in the world, not God's existence. So the psalmist and this song in Psalm 137, the people refuse to succumb to silence. They want to continue to sing the Lord's song even in the strange land. And I think that's encouragement for us, too, because we hear the same thing. You know, if all these bad things are going on in the world, then how can there indeed be a God? These are opportunities for us to lift up God and his name and to reflect on where he has led us in the past, because that's an indicator of where he's going to lead us in the future. So where does this hope get us? Where do we, where do we go with this hope? Uh, what kind of, of encouragement do we receive from it? Yes. So the psalmists, whenever they are in challenging situations, instead of turning away from God, they turn to the past and seek God in their past experiences. Because God is not a new God to them. It is the living God who has revealed himself to his people so they know God. So there is always that tendency to search for God in the past. And usually the two... Uh, reoccurring motives are the motives of creation. They explore the mysteries of creation and see God's loving and mighty hand in creation and also in history, uh, in God's past acts of deliverance, in Exodus and others. So all that inspires hope for the people to wait for God to intervene. So we can do that too when, the, when life gets difficult when times get hard, we have that opportunity to do the same thing, to look back at where he's led us in the past and and where he's going to in the future. The biggest issue or the question that the psalmists wrestle with when addressing this problem of evil in, in personal or community lives, what is that? What is that problem? How do they come through? We've touched on it a little bit, but what's, what's really at stake here? Uh, if we don't get this right, because we all go through trials, we all go through challenges, and there are going to be people who look at us to see how we go through or don't go through these challenges. What's, what's really at stake here? Yes. So let's take, for example, Psalm 73. We already mentioned this beautiful psalm, and, and it really provides some, some good lessons for us. Here the psalmist almost doubts his path of righteousness and he's thinking, how is it that the evil prosper and the righteous suffer? Do I in vain keep God's laws and, try and strive to live, live a good life? But what's interesting in this psalm is that the psalmist keeps all these thoughts just between himself and God. 
And then we reach this marvelous verse 15 where the psalmist said, If I had said, I will speak thus, I will speak thus, meaning sharing all these doubts uh, that I have, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Meaning he realizes that now if I cross that line and start sharing my doubts, I would be untrue to God's people. I would cause others to stumble and lose their faith. And that's where he gets his wake-up call and said, I refuse to do that. And instead, he says in verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful to me. And he decides what? To go into the sanctuary of God. And the sanctuary of God represents the community of people. And then I understood the end of the evil. So maybe this is one lesson to bring our doubts, to share them with God only, and to be considerate to our community of faith, to other people, because this consideration will lead us to a better understanding. And we see the psalmist, they use the time of God's silence to meditate on God's works in the past and to gain a better understanding of themselves. Maybe we can quote Psalm 90 verse 1 where the psalmist also gives a good uh, uh, revelation when the temple was destroyed some abandoned faith but the psalmist took time to ponder about what's happening and he comes to this revelation Lord you have been our dwelling place in all generations meaning though the temple is destroyed the psalmist gets now a deeper insight into the reality and realizes it's not the temple as the building that mattered, but it is the Lord who is our dwelling place. The Lord in his person is our temple. And whenever we go through tough times, taking time to ponder will, will lead us to a greater revelation of God himself. You know, we have a, a tendency as human beings if and when we're going through difficult times, to, to whine and complain. And frequently when we do that, we don't help the matter very much, but we end up bringing other people down. But here we have, we have a, different, a different direction that's laid out for us, a way that can both encourage us and can encourage others around us. There's, there's a real concern here on the psalmist's part that he doesn't share these doubts and, and discouragements with others to, to bring them down. Uh, perhaps a little something we can learn there, yeah? Absolutely, absolutely. And again, we get disappointed when things don't go according to our understanding. But the Psalms teach us that when we let God be God, it means that we will let him be bigger than our box we tend to put him in. And we will let him teach us and lead us to greater understanding of himself and of ourselves and his plans for our lives and for this world. So it helps to broaden our understanding to make, as you said, the box a little bit bigger. Because when we get discouraged and depressed, we tend to, everything shrinks in on itself. The problems get bigger, but everything else seems to shrink in. And here we have opportunities to 
understand that it's much bigger. There's a lot more going on. And we have these incredible opportunities to be blessings to other people, which we might miss out on otherwise if we, uh, if we just complained and, and murmured. You know, there's, uh, there's plenty of evidence in the Bible that murmuring doesn't cause a lot of good. We'll put it that way. But these are encouraging words here. And we're going to continue digging into this. I want to encourage you, if you have not yet done so, make sure that you pick up the companion book to this quarter's Sabbath school study. You will find it at itiswritten.shop. Again, that's itiswritten.shop. And you will find more uh, in-depth looks at the book of Psalms. You'll find some wonderful quotes there. You'll find more evidence for each of the different subjects that we are looking at. And you will find that your study is broadened and strengthened as you look at that book. Again, you'll find it at itiswritten.shop. It's the companion book for this quarter's study on the book of Psalms. We're going to be right back with more as we continue taking a look at singing the Lord's song in a strange land. We'll be right back. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about the study of the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious about God's Word also. Well, I want to share with you another way that you can dig deeper into the Word of God, and here it is. It Is Written dot study. Go online to itiswritten.study and you can access the It Is Written Bible Study Guides, 25 in-depth Bible studies that will walk you through the Bible. It's going to be good for you, and it's the sort of thing that you will want to tell somebody else about so that they can dig deeper into the Word of God and come to know the things of the Bible intimately. As you get into the It Is Written online Bible study guides, you'll understand the prophecies of the Bible, the plan of salvation, and more. So don't forget, itiswritten.study. Itiswritten.study. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're looking at singing the Lord's song in a strange land. Slava, let me ask you this question. When there are innocent people who are suffering, sometimes it it seems as if God is absent. And we see that happening all over the world. How do the psalmists respond to that when they see innocent people suffering? Where is God? Where is God? That's the question that people ask throughout history. And that's one of the most complex questions that, that we are asked as believers. Where is God? especially when the innocent, when the children suffer. And the psalmists also are challenged by these questions because oftentimes they themselves suffered severely. But instead of asking, where is God, in a sense of denying God's existence, God's goodness, they turn to God, they refuse to succumb to evil, and what is perceived as God's silence the psalmists take that as in their bold resolve to appear to God to intervene because they believe that the prayer is powerful because it is directed to the living God. So for them, there must be a reason why God is apparently hiding his face. So they appeal to God to intervene. Well, now very often or From time to time in the Psalms, we'll see that the psalmist will use 
a very difficult language, a language of even a language of anger or imprecatory language. The Psalm 137 that we mentioned earlier is perhaps one of the most difficult ones for believers to explain because the psalmist says, Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, all right, the day of Jerusalem, and then in verses 8 and 9, O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as you have served us. So there is almost this uh, payback desire. And then a very, very difficult text, happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. But remember, these uh, texts reflect what the Babylonians did to them. That's what the psalmist says. So we tend to shun away from verses like this. However, I believe this imprecatory language should be appreciated because note, this language is addressed to God. The psalmist does not seek to take revenge upon themselves, but bring that to God. And they appeal to God's promises of judgment of evil. Now, I would like to think that perhaps the psalmist took evil more seriously than we do today sometimes, especially if we live comfortably. Then we have the privilege to perhaps cringe or, 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 or be offended by these words. But people who go through suffering, they understand that suffering should be brought to God, but that the revenge belongs to God alone. And that ought to probably help us make it through life a little bit better, because if, if we are constantly focused on revenge ourselves or payback, as you mentioned, uh, that can hurt our own spirit. It can hurt our, damage our own lives and our own walks with God. But if we can learn to trust him in the good times, then that's going to help us, hopefully, to trust him in the bad times and to see that he, he's still there yes. and that ultimately he's going to make things right. Yes, yes. And to trust God's judgment means that we leave it to God to intervene and judge the way he finds it fit. Maybe we can recall Jonah, the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament. He was sent to uh, uh, preach the, the message of God's judgment upon the unfaithful and, and wicked people. But then it turns out that the people repented and God graciously forgave them. Now, it can happen that when we pray to God and give our anger and imprecations and desire for revenge to God, that God in his judgment will turn our enemies into our friends bring them to the point of repentance and save them because that's the first point of God's judgment. It's salvation of all people. And that's a marvelous, wonderful thing. So if, if payback was left to us, oh, yes. we, we might approach it a little differently than God Absolutely. does. A, not a salvific payback, but a, uh, a revenge type of payback. But God has the right heart he has the right motives. He knows the end from the beginning. And if we can leave that to him, difficult though that may be, he has a better plan for it than we do. Uh, that's pretty powerful. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed. And it brings us peace, living in the security and love and grace of God. 
it brings us peace and assurance. So we're called to, to sing this song. What are, you mentioned some of the benefits. It gives us peace, it gives us assurance. What other benefits are there for us, to us, through us, uh, if we learn to sing this song at the times when we're called to? Yes. Well, these songs will inspire hope, not only in us, but in people around us. The Psalms call us to refuse to be silent, but instead to continue singing the Lord's song and inspire hope, telling people that there is light coming, that there is life coming, that God will triumph. So with bringing hope, they also serve as a testimony to God's gospel in Jesus Christ uh, uh, to the world. And, and, and the, the message of salvation is a powerful message in, in those songs. So these challenges are really, if we look at them in the right, through the right lens, they're opportunities. Yes. They're opportunities for us to glorify God, for us to, to help other people see a better picture, a more clear picture of him than even perhaps we ourselves sometimes see. Uh, you and I have both been through challenges. Everyone has. If, if, we've, if we've breathed, if we've lived, we've been through challenges. And some of them seem downright overwhelming. Yes. And we don't know how we're going to make it through. But, but if we can turn back to God, then he can find a way to bring his glory through in those challenging situations. There's likely some people watching this who are thinking, sure, you may be able to say that, but you don't know what I'm going through, or you don't know what I have gone through, and I'm dealing with something that is just beyond painful that you could never possibly imagine. What kind of words of encouragement would you give to someone who might be experiencing a loss or a challenge or, or, or just a downright horrible situation uh, to help them out? Yes. Well, I learned from the Psalms that our confidence does not thrive on the absence of problems and difficulties. Quite contrary, it thrives on the integrity of God's character, of his loving and truthful and faithful person. Here I would like to share one wonderful quote that means a lot to me. Summon all your powers to look up not down at your difficulties. Then you will never faint by the way. You will see soon Jesus behind the cloud reaching out his hand to help you. And all you have to do is to give him your hand in simple faith and let him lead you. As you become trustful, you will, through faith in Jesus, become hopeful. So what this is all about then is maybe a reorientation of, of life. So we're, we're oriented in one direction and then something happens in our lives and we become what we might call disoriented. And now we have an opportunity to be reoriented. Share a little bit more about the benefits of that reorientation and why when we're disoriented, it doesn't serve us well to stay disoriented, but to reorient. Yes. The experience of disorientation will surely come to every one of us in different times of life and in different ways, but surely will hit us 
uh, once or twice or even more times. Why? Because life on this earth is not simple. The reality of evil and sin complicates things to that extent that people even question and doubt God's love and grace in this life. And that's where the sense of disorientation comes. Because we were thought to believe certain things, and we even experience them, but then circumstances of life will challenge us. Now, let us take that time of disorientation as a time of learning, as a time maybe even to sit back and meditate and muse and seek God. And by doing that, we will allow God through His Word, maybe through other people, to lead us to a new reorientation, which is the time of maturing, of growing, or broadening our experience with God, the time of learning. Because what other way do we have to grow? And, and we need to grow and mature. That's the journey. That's the, that's the life journey, spiritual journey as well. You know, it's in that disorientation time that a lot of people fall out. And so you can either fall out and, and continue in disorientation and discouragement, or you can use that time, as you mentioned, to, for spiritual growth and to, uh, to broaden and deepen your relationship with Jesus and be reoriented. So all the benefits come from the reorientation uh, in the right direction as opposed to going in a different direction, in a, in a, a direction that really has no hope. And so the psalmists do a wonderful job of helping us to see that. And as we look at that, hopefully we can learn and we can grow in the same, uh, in the same way. Any final thoughts on this this week? Well, I would like to say that all these wonderful things we said about new orientation or reorientation, we cannot do this on our own. And that's why reading the Psalms, praying the Psalms daily is so very important because the Psalms do not just inform us, they also empower us by God's grace and through uh, the Holy Spirit. So taking time every day to read the Psalms, it will shape our thoughts, it will mold our heart to sing in tune with these wonderful inspired words. And this is where the reorientation and maturing happens through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, not by self-motivation and self-talk. And I know it's very popular nowadays, this uh, uh, motivational speaking and self-motivation, which has its merits as well. But the task is too huge for us to do it alone. We will never make it. Take the time of the, every day to read the Psalms, sing the Psalms, pray the Psalms. There is power of God in them. Slava, thank you for helping lead us through singing the Lord's song in a strange land. And thank you for joining us this week. We will return again next week as we continue our journey through the Psalms here on Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written.